And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Howdy and welcome to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. Coming to you from the place where there is still free speech, at least until the noise ordinance kicks in at 11 p.m. Cam Edwards, your host, and glad that you've joined us. It has been a very productive week. I'm really, really pleased. I feel like finally uh, we've had that that just that stretch of good weather and just put in the time uh, to uh, to get things going on the garden, and it, it, it's good. It feels good to have been out uh, working all weekend long, and I feel like I've we've actually accomplished something. Uh, so all of the tomatoes are now planted. Uh, the, uh, the peppers are, are still growing in the, uh, greenhouse right now as they're getting a little bit bigger. Most of the tomatoes that uh, made the, the trip from the house down to the garden. Okay. Uh, and they, uh, they, they made the transplant well, although unfortunately we did lose our San Marzano's, which are sort of a, a plum tomato. And we, uh, we had a lot of them that we, uh, grew last year, did very, very well, uh, use them for canning. And, uh, this year... All the ones that we uh, put out, they were just a little too small. Uh, I don't think they were quite ready, and they uh, they didn't make it. It's hard when you're you know just using the the windows in your house. Uh, like I said, we had a big you know bookshelf basically with the three shelf uh, units uh, that were just covered in tomatoes and uh, and and pepper plants, but. You know the uh, let's say the the top two shelves did a lot better uh, in terms of getting sunlight. We try to rotate them, but uh, you know it, it it was not a perfect solution, unfortunately. And the greenhouse was not uh, <clears throat> yet an option for us. But we uh, we do have another round of San Marzano seeds going. Hopefully they'll uh, start producing in August. And we actually had tomatoes going until early November. I'm not planning on that happening again this year, but um, the San Marzano, I guess, will be one of our late crops. But other than that, things look pretty good in the garden. We are uh, clearing out more beds. We do still have some more stuff to put down. It is, you know, uh, it's it's been a little bit late start, and we went from weather that was, you know, uh, a frost in the evenings, uh, well past the uh, the frost date, uh, which was April 18th for our area, and now all of a sudden. It's just gone from being cooler than normal to warmer than usual. So we've got, you know, highs in the mid-80s. We've got lows in the uh, 60s. So uh, there is that sort of mad scramble to get as much stuff into the ground now as we possibly can. But I felt like we actually did a lot of that uh, this weekend. As for the stuff that we've already planted, uh, beets are looking good actually right now we've got uh, six different types of beets going um three beds worth of beets and one of our beds is is doing great it it is a lot of green uh the other two beds meh, patchy let's say uh patchy beet growth the carrots that we've put down all look pretty good right now uh one of our our beds is just just covered in clover so we're uh, still battling that uh, and a couple of the beds that we cleaned out uh, have, have had some pretty significant uh, ant problems. Uh, and so we've not been able to, to use those. I'm, I'm very curious. You know, one of the things that we're always looking for are ways to kill bugs that don't kill chickens uh, or don't kill goats if they eat them. So if anybody has any advice on uh, uh, natural ways to get rid of ants, 
Uh, that'd be fantastic. I would love to hear uh, what you have to say. The email address, as always, is 40acrefool at gmail.com. Uh, our potato leaves are starting to pop. That's really exciting. I, we didn't grow potatoes last year, uh, and I missed them. So this year we've got uh, two beds worth of potatoes, and the uh, the leaves are starting to poke up. So the garden is doing is doing pretty good uh, for this time of year. The uh, blueberries are just starting to, to come out. The blossoms are uh, gone off the blueberry bushes. So here in uh, probably, well, probably uh, mid to late June, early July, we'll start to see the blueberries. It's uh, it's just so incredibly green uh, right now. And it's just after after a long, wet, just gray winter, it really, I you know, at some point, along about August or so, it does become kind of a chore to get out there and weed. And, you know, there's kind of stuff that you'd rather be doing. But right now it's the time of year where you just, you really look forward to that time that you're able to spend outside. And so it has been a fantastic week uh, in that regard. We are down to uh, two baby goats now. A, another baby goat has left and has found a, a new home. So we've got a doling, uh, Miss Freckles. We have a, a buckling, Named Splotch. I, I didn't I didn't name him. He's got sort of a splotchy face. Splotch is um we we didn't we don't we don't really we haven't planned on keeping Splotch, but uh, he's here for now. He's very cute. He's very adorable, uh, and you know he's he's getting lots of human contact. So if anybody wants a uh, a a a a goat, a small little uh, buckling. Who's very very cute uh, and and very affectionate? Uh, let me know again. You you know the email address forty acre fool at uh, gmail because we're we're more than happy to uh, uh, find Splotch a new home. We'll keep him if if we have to, um, but we don't have to. Uh, let's see the other uh, animals as we just go through the other uh, rundown here. Goats are doing well. The adult goats are doing great. We're getting about a gallon of milk a day, uh, and now that we're down to two baby goats, we're not, they're not drinking as much of the uh, the milk, and so we are rapidly accumulating a, a good supply of goat milk. Which yes, we do drink uh, raw milk on occasion. No, and, and here's the thing: I, I'm I, I, I'm not a uh, raw milk. You must drink raw milk. This is the only way to be. And if you don't do this, my youngest daughter likes goat milk. Uh, she'll drink it. She'll put it in her cereal. My, uh, her, her twin brother doesn't. It's fine. We have the regular, uh, 2%. Um, I like to drink goat milk. I don't like to put it in my cereal, uh, make cheese out of it, make yogurt out of it. So yeah, but, but uh, you know what I mean? I'm not, demanding that others uh, drink raw milk. But we have had raw milk, and there have not been any uh, ill effects uh, at all because, again, very, very careful when you're milking the goat to uh, make sure that the you know the udder is clean. You, uh, you wipe it off beforehand. Uh, you uh, make sure that there's... And look, I mean, there have been times we've had to throw out uh, all of the milk that has been collected because... Uh, you know, a goat puts its foot in the milk bucket and there goes your milk that, you know, there's no way that you can drink it after that. So, uh, as long as you're very careful, uh, we strain the milk after, uh, uh, we, uh, we milk our goats. Um, there's no reason why you can't drink raw milk. I, there's, there's some folks who just see this as like drinking plutonium or something. And it's just, 
I, I just don't see that as the case. So the uh, the adult goats are going uh, uh, just gangbusters right now, putting out all kinds of milk. The uh, bacon seeds are doing wonderful. It is time. Uh, it is time to uh, uh, butcher the the first of the bacon seeds, the uh, first of the class of 2015. So uh, that we might actually have some uh, uh, stories next week on the program. Uh, and I think we have decided that uh, given the time of year, given our lack of uh, refrigeration space for the size hog that, that we're talking about, that uh, we are going to have uh, this hog processed um, rather than do it ourselves this year. And I, I, again, I'm okay with that decision. I would much rather uh, leave it to an expert than botch the job and waste a life like that. Um, not interested in doing that. So uh, that should happen, hopefully, in the uh, next week or so. We're still trying to figure out. It, it's it's a difficult thing uh, to, to load one pig into a, uh, into a trailer. Uh, it can be done, you know, when you've got seven of them. Um, it, it can be done. It is, a, it is not a one-person job to, uh, to accomplish that feat. So we're, we're still trying to figure out the logistics of getting uh, the bacon seed to the processor. But uh, that will be accomplished. We'll, we'll figure that out. And soon, soon we will have fresh bacon on the farm. All right, we're going to step away for just a, a moment or two when we come back right after this. Uh, we've got a, uh, a couple of stories from beyond the 40 acres that relate to small farming and the, uh, the near frontier. So stick around. We'll get into that right after this here on 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. 57-year-old Glenn Allen Bates allegedly embezzled about $150,000. He schemed, they say, to steal money from the VA retail store that he managed and spent it on strippers, prostitutes, and gambling. He spent about $500 a night on lap dances. A night? That's what I'm saying. a lot of lap dances. Aren't you going to be chafing at that point? The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So when I was in Nashville at the NRA annual meeting, uh, one of the uh, guys I had the opportunity to see, actually for the first time, I think, uh, was Glenn Reynolds, uh, Instapundit. And you know, Glenn is, is, is one of the smartest guys I know. Uh, Instapundit is usually my homepage for the Internet. Uh, I don't know. Glenn Reynolds and I have, I, I think, just very similar interests. Uh, and Glenn is a very curious guy. He's got a great mix of uh, all different kinds of news stories there at uh, Instapundit. And uh, one of the things that he has been uh, sort of uh, uh, writing about a little bit and, and, and really just sort of pointing to are these instances where big population centers uh, have an outsized political influence on a, uh, a, a given state. Uh, if you look at, for instance, a map of the 2014 midterm elections, what you see is, you know, a vast, vast swaths of red. Even in blue states, you will see, you know, a lot of red congressional districts. 
Um, if you zo- if, you know, if you were to, to, to zoom in uh, even closer and, and take a look at you know local elections, what you'd find is that typically, you know, the the rural parts of the uh, of, of any given state are going to be much more uh, conservative than the urban centers. Uh, and Glenn uh, says that uh, there was a, a case. Uh, Baker, a couple of cases actually, a Baker versus Carr and Reynolds versus Sims, that dealt with legislative redistricting, that uh, uh, has sort of led to this uh, increased imbalance where the, uh, the the prerogatives of the uh, big urban centers are taking a priority over the rural uh, areas. There was a piece in the uh, the Daily World which is a, a Washington uh, a state newspaper by uh, Jim Walsh, who is uh, the vice chairman of the Washington State Republican Party. He lives in Aberdeen, uh, Washington. And he, he writes about this phenomenon and what how this is playing out in Washington State. Uh, he says, we live in a rural area. It's a good thing. He says rural economies can do well. Our cost of living and of doing business tend to be lower than in urban areas, lighter population density, and a less anxious lifestyle are pluses too. He says, but this rural area near Aberdeen hasn't thrived or grown in recent years. And he says part of the reason is because they are serving other parts of the state. Uh, he, he talks about, uh, and he gives several examples. Now, he, interestingly enough, he does not give uh, the example of the the gun control efforts which really are centered in Washington State around King County and the Seattle area. And you get uh, out into, again, more rural parts of the state, which is most of the land area in the state. Uh, And you don't find a lot of support for uh, uh, these uh, gun control laws. But he does raise the uh, the issue of the uh, statewide minimum wage, $15, 16-hour minimum wage, uh, which is being floated, he says, by a city councilwoman in uh, Seattle and uh, trust fund billionaire Nick Hanauer. Uh, Walsh says they don't care that, as economists Andrew Boggs and Mark Perry of the American Enterprise Institute point out, it's in the thousands of smaller rural areas across America where the cost of living is generally low that an increase in the minimum wage will have the greatest adverse impact on job opportunities. You know, cost of living is typically less in rural areas. The wages uh, may very well be less as well, and a, a $15 an hour uh, minimum wage. Uh, I, you know, I, I think about what that would do to some of these businesses in rural Virginia, uh, where I live, and a lot of them would close down. Uh, there are a lot of these businesses that are operating on the margins already. And it's sad to see, when I drive up to, to Washington, D.C., uh, in the mothership, um, you know, it's about a three-hour drive, a little bit longer. And you go through these great small towns. I always take the back way. I don't take 95. So I, 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 I cruise up uh, Highway 15 in Virginia, and you go through places like uh, Dillwyn and uh, Fork Union. There's a military school there that's been there since the uh, late 1800s. The town itself has just sort of collapsed in on itself, and the school is still there, and you just can't help but wonder for how long. Uh, Palmyra, Virginia, which is just sort of a spot in the road. There's an old stone jail museum there that I've always wanted to uh, stop and, and go to, but I've never had the time. Uh, and you, you hit uh, Interstate 64. You drive over to a place called Zion's Crossroads, and, and in the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden, 
there's a huge Lowe's and a big Walmart. And there's, you know, all of a sudden you're in this little spot of suburbs because it's right next to an interstate. So it's close to Charlottesville and it's, uh, I guess, even commutable to Richmond. Um, all of these small towns that you drive through Gordonsville, Virginia and Orange, Virginia, you get into Fredericksburg and, 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 you know, all of a sudden now you're in the DC exurbs. But over the last few years, as I've made this drive over and over and over again, I've seen changes just in the last few years. And you'll, you'll drive by and all of a sudden this, uh, little country store that's been there open for, for Lord knows how long isn't anymore. Or the gas station slash restaurant slash roast beef stand uh, now has a for sale sign in front of it. And you know, these rural areas, um, again, these these aren't these aren't businesses that are in many cases thriving. Uh, I know a lot of small business owners here in the area who work very long hours, very hard hours. Um. And they're not getting rich doing it. They 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 are paying their bills, uh, and they are putting you know a roof over their head and food on the table. But they're not uh, they're not living large, even though they might own uh, their business. A a fifteen sixteen dollar an hour minimum wage in these areas would certainly mean you wouldn't be hiring anybody outside the family. I think that would be the, uh, the the first thing that would happen. Uh, you know, jobs would become even more scarce. These policies that are, are put in place, uh, you know, again, in, in big city areas and are designed sort of with the, uh, the big city mentality um, and maybe the deep blue mentality, you know, they have impacts um, uh, in, in rural areas. And it's far beyond, even as, you know, minimum wage uh, laws, modern health care actually had a, uh, a piece. I think it was actually a, uh, a Reuters piece because I saw this in the uh, Richmond Times-Dispatch. Oh, it was Associated Press. Talking about the number of rural hospitals uh, that have shut down across the country just in the past five years. Uh, 50, 50, 50 uh, rural hospitals have closed since 2010. And the AP says that the pace is accelerating. There have been more closures in the past two years than in the past 10 uh, combined, according to the National Rural Health Association, when these hospitals close, you know that is a huge hit to your economy uh, in many ways. A, you're you know you're losing the the hospital which provides jobs, but you're also making it much much more difficult for businesses to to want to uh, to, to move to that community, right? I mean schools. Doctors, uh, these, these are all quality of life issues that, that we consider when we, or most of us consider, uh, when we are thinking about moving our family or moving our business. And it's not as if the, uh, the closure of these, you know, 50 hospitals, all right, well, that's, that's, we got rid of the weak ones. We got rid of the, uh, the ones that were underperforming. We got rid of the ones where there really wasn't a population base uh, to, uh, to serve this. According to uh, iVantage Health Analytics, there are 283 more rural hospitals in 39 states that are in danger or uh, vulnerable, as the uh, AP story says, uh, to, to uh, shutting down. 35% that say rural hospitals are operating at a loss. And something that can't go on forever won't, right? 
it's just a couple of examples, I think, of how these ideas, you know, coming from uh, these large urban centers are having unintended or maybe even intended consequences uh, on rural America. The answer, according to Jim Walsh, is to elect uh, more officials with uh, rural interests in mind. But the problem is that as we become a uh, even more urban country, that uh, there are going to be fewer and fewer of those uh, candidates out there who are running to represent rural interests, given that most of the uh, candidates will be in areas that that aren't rural. Uh, you know, this is an issue, I think, that is it won't be solved in one op-ed and it won't be solved in uh, one podcast, but uh, that disconnect between the, the urban and rural areas. It used to be the suburbs were that, were that buffer zone, but I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. Uh, I think that the, uh, the divide that Glenn Reynolds highlights is real. I just don't know quite what the, uh, the answer is. But hey, that's why this is called 40 Acres and a Fool, not 40 Acres and a Genius, right? All right, when we come back after a quick timeout here on <clears throat> the aforementioned 40 Acres and a Fool, uh, we'll get to a uh, email, plus we've got uh, more of the week's, I won't say top stories, but uh, more interesting stories. Stick around. We'll be right back with more right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. They just did this new poll for all the candidates in Iowa. They have Scott Walker out in front of the pack with 21% support. A nine-point advantage over his closest opponents. Rubio, he's up to 13%. Ted Cruz, 12 Rand Paul is tied with Rubio at 13%. Huckabee just announced he's at 11%. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So Russ writes in uh, with a uh, question about a couple of books, um, wondering if there's uh, somewhere that I post my my reading list. Uh, And the answer is no, not really. I do have a Goodreads account, Russ, but uh, I confess I only update it sporadically. In fact, it's been a couple of months. There's... Am I, the, I cannot be the only person who just says that there's way too many social networks out there, right? I mean, I have a hard enough time keeping up with my Facebook page. LinkedIn, I probably check once every six weeks or so. Goodreads, as I said, it's a couple uh, every every uh, couple of months. I'll go back and try to add to it. But um, if you let me know the subject matter of the uh, books that I was talking about, Russ, I can probably help you out so that way you don't have to go back through all uh, 14 now episodes of uh, 40 Acres and a Fool. Uh, I gotta say, haven't really had much time to uh, to do any reading. We are th- in the thick of writing right now, and uh, I'll, I'll uh, start reading again maybe after the uh, the writing deadline has passed. But um, I, I the one time that I get a chance to read now is at night. I'll read to my kids, and I I didn't realize that this was an issue um, until this week. As a matter of fact, in Australia. There was a, uh, a an academic named Adam Swift who uh, told this uh, ABC uh, Australian Broadcasting Corporation uh, radio program 
which was discussing, by the way, whether having a loving family is an unfair advantage. This was the question, right? Does does this privilege your child? And privilege is a verb now, not just a uh, adjective. Does this privilege your child to have a loving family? And should we take away the family because it provides a privilege? Well, one of the subsets of this argument, and yeah, apparently it's a real argument, uh, is that reading bedtime stories to your kids is problematic. Adam Swift said, uh, quote, evidence shows that the difference between those who get bedtime stories and those who don't, the difference in their life chances is bigger than the difference between those who get elite private schooling and those who don't. And according to uh, Nine News in Australia, uh, Mr. Swift said the, uh, quote, devilish twist was whether, I never realized that's a British accent, not Australian, uh, was whether bedtime stories should be restricted. He said you have to allow parents to engage in bedtime stories activities. In fact, we encourage them because these are the kinds of interactions between parents and children that do indeed foster and produce them, uh, these uh, desired familial uh, relationship goods. But he says, I I don't think that uh, parents reading their children uh, bedtime stories should constantly have in their minds the way that they are unfairly disadvantaging other people's children, but I think they should have that thought occasionally. There's so much to unpack there, isn't there? First of all, the fact that the, the idea that you uh, putting forth the effort to be a good parent privileges your child because apparently the norm now is don't give a damn. Don't care. Don't try. Don't put out an effort. Uh, and so if you do put forth an effort, if it is hard work being a good parent, then what we're told not to. Uh, also this week, there was a story about uh, public boarding schools, the idea of public boarding schools. Apparently Buffalo, New York, is looking at a grant to set up year-round. Your kids would be there seven days a week. Uh, and again, the idea is we're, we're going to take, quote-unquote, disadvantaged youth, not not abused children, not uh, people who have, uh, uh, you know, uh, kids who have fallen into the uh, custody of uh, DHS or uh, Children and Family Services, but, but disadvantaged youth. We're going to take them away from their parents, and we're going to put them in public boarding schools somewhere because God knows the state can run their lives better than their parents can. I don't think the state does a very good job of running the state, quite frankly. But this is um, a, a a very very troublesome trend. Uh, and and look, I so like I said, the one time that I get to read this week is reading to my kids at night their bedtime stories, and we've done this. I, my, my my youngest just turned ten, and we've gone from it used to be singing songs. And it was, you had their favorite lullabies, uh, and they had their different favorite lullabies. And so there was this sort of, you know, evening repertoire of songs that would change over the years. Uh, And then probably about a year ago, they decided, meh, we're kind of done with songs, Dan. And I I was heartbroken because I didn't want the evening routine to end. And so instead... We switched over to bedtime stories. Uh, at the time, my youngest son was really into mythology. He still is, but but he was just reading these books, and so I found my copy of uh, Edith Hamilton's mythology from uh, back in high school, 
And we went through all of the Greek and Roman and Norse myths. And that took a couple of months. Uh, and then we did the Odyssey and the, uh, well, we did the Iliad first and then we did the Odyssey. Uh, and that took a couple of months. And then I found a copy of uh, Aesop's Fables. And so we, we read uh, Aesop's Fables. That took a couple more months. There's, I got to say, though, there are a lot of Aesop's Fables that don't hold up. There, there's a reason why we only know seven or eight of them. Um, and so after Aesop, uh, I was kind of struggling. I was thinking, well, where do we go from here? I, I, hmm. And my son, my youngest son, uh, who is a voracious reader of his own, takes after uh, both of his parents, actually. But I like to say it takes after me. Um, anyway, he had picked up one of my guilty pleasures of reading. And he had started devouring this series of books. And so we now uh, read from this series of books at night. And I, I, I've, I've avoided saying the name of these series of books. Uh, it's, you know what, I'm, it is a guilty pleasure, but I'm, I'm okay with this. It's Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. I have been buying Uncle John's Bathroom Readers since they came out. The first one came out in 1988, I think right around the time I turned 14, because I think I got it for my birthday or with some birthday money. And ever since, I have been a devoted fan of Uncle John's Bathroom Readers. They are some of the greatest trivia books ever. And so they're not the bathroom reader in our house now. They are the, uh, the bedroom reader. And there are these. If you don't know what they are, uh, it's, it's basically it's 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 my poor Richard's almanac. It's a they come out with a new book every year, and it's just little stories, kind of like a mental floss, a mental floss magazine, uh, you know that type of stuff. Just interesting things. Uh, most of the books that I have are uh, hard copies, but I did buy one uh, on an ebook. So I'm looking here. So like here are just a couple of the uh, the the subject lines for their their uh, their stories. Uh, uh, text nine one one. Text nine one one. Candy bits. Let me write sign. I good speak English. Uh, war words. Random origins. Uh, four famous firstborns. Legends of the rose. Shoe shines and walkout booths. Fake lobster and pineapple salad. Just uh, keep calm and carry on. Uh, it just you know again all, all just kinds of interesting weird stories and they are perfect bedtime story material because in the span of you know, five to seven minutes, I can go through one or two of these little chapters. Uh, and it's usually I'll let my son pick out a subject that he wants to hear about. I'll let my daughter pick out a subject that she wants to hear about. And it's fantastic. They, they're they're interested. They're engaged. They're It's a really funny uh, style of writing. So there's, you know, some dumb jokes and some humor in there. But it's always sort of interesting stuff. So they're learning and I think that they know that they're learning, I but they're okay with it because it's uh, it's interesting. They can learn about bugs if they want to, or comic books. They're they're picking and choosing uh, what they want to learn about, and it's very empowering. So you know what? I, I'm sure that this does benefit my kids, and I don't think the answer is to tell me to stop or to make me feel guilty about it. I think the answer is to encourage more parents to do something similar with their kids. Have you noticed something? I've got a theory. I'm working on it here. There's just a vague outline of a theory right now, but tell me if you think I'm 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 onto something here. 
going back to the 1960s, really, with the, the Great Society, we saw this progressive uh, hope and, and belief that they could change the world, right? With enough government programs, with enough spending, they could uh, go back and you know read what LBJ uh, said when he announced the Great Society. I mean, they were going to eradicate poverty. Poverty was going to be a thing of the past, like 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 they had eradicated polio, like they had eradicated uh, disease. They were going to eradicate poverty, and it was going to be in a period of, of just a matter of years. And they tried, and they failed. And the answer was, well, we need more money. And they tried, and, and it failed. And then the answer was, well, we need more regulations, and they tried, and it failed. And, and here we are now, 50 years later, and the poverty rate is still the same. Um, I think, you know, as with every other group of Americans, Americans living in poverty today are better off than Americans living in poverty 50 years ago. But we still have poverty, right? And I think somewhere over the last, recently, I, I couldn't even pinpoint when, but recently, I wonder if there hasn't been this um, acknowledgement that, okay, we we can't really we can't really create utopia. We can't really eradicate poverty. We can't really uh, raise people up. Our our plans didn't work, so we've got a new plan. Instead of trying to lift everybody up, now we're going to try to start squashing people down. And if we if 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 we can't make sure that uh, poverty is gone and everybody uh, gets a chance to live in a a, a beautiful clean uh, a cul-de-sac uh, a suburb or a, a beautiful uh, new uh, apartment in a, a mixed-use neighborhood in a, a wonderfully clean city with great schools. If we can't do that, then we got to bring everybody down. If we can't bring everybody up, we know we can bring everybody down. And so you see this, this mindset and start to develop where, again, you have people say, well, you should real, you should feel bad that you're reading bedtime stories to your kids because you're disadvantaging other kids. No, I'm not. I'm not. Me as a father and my wife as a mom struggling, because parenting is hard, but struggling to impart values, manners, uh, a, a, a strong moral philosophy and a sense of right and wrong, a sense of ethics and a moral code, that does not disadvantage anybody else. As a matter of fact, I would say that there, if, if, if I'm raising my kids to have those qualities and other parents are raising their kids to have those qualities, sooner or later, someone who is raised without those qualities is actually still going to benefit by interacting with someone who has those qualities. So no, I'm not disadvantaging anybody else's children. I'm doing the best that I can for mine, and hopefully they'll grow up to be uh, responsible adults who can uh, maybe provide an example or uh, help to someone who needs it. Provide a lesson, someone who can learn it. I just, uh, clearly, this bothers me. 
this idea that that since we can't make everybody a good parent, let's just make sure everybody's a bad one. That, that doesn't apply to them, too. You notice that, right? We've got the public boarding schools. It's not that we're going to open up the private boarding schools or shut down the private boarding schools. No, 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 no. If you can pay $60,000 a year to send your kid to these schools, no problem whatsoever. It's the other people. It's the, it's the other people's children that we need to worry about, Right? We don't get to uh, share in the raising of their kids. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. They just get to take over raising ours. And you thought you were going to get a book report in this segment, huh? Well, how about that? All right, we're going to take a, a quick time out. Every now and then that rant just, you know, has to oh, burst forth. All right, when we come back, we've got uh, more 40 Acres and a Fool. Stick around, and uh, we'll be right back right after this. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Where this idiot on uh, MSNBS? All of you who are black in America, who are part of the, you know, who are poor, you are all part of this this class that we all regard as thugs. You're all lawbreakers, according to MSNBS, because it's people like Obama and the, the Baltimore mayor who refer to you as thugs because they want to separate from the the rabble, and it's not true. Chris Salcedo, Saturdays noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Plays Radio Network. So it's going to be this great time of year where the weather is warming up and I want to be outside. We have the Heart of Virginia Festival in Farmville this weekend and a lot of festivals. In fact, there's a, a fantastic event. It's coming up in a few weeks and I want to tell you about it um, because I, I, I want to urge you to attend if you can. It's It may be a drive for you, but uh, it's, it's well worth it. Pinehurst, North Carolina. Uh, which is, you know, South Raleigh, Durham, near Fort Bragg area, uh, May 21st, which is a Thursday night. It is the third annual Duskin and Stevens Beef and Beer Benefit. I had the opportunity to attend last year, uh, and it was incredible. It was such an amazing event. Uh, they, Mike Duskin and Riley Stevens, um, two warriors, who were killed in the line of duty. And this benefit uh, not only uh, keeps their names alive, but it uh, helps provide scholarships in their name for kids. Mike Duskin was a chief warrant officer too. He uh, was killed October 23rd, 2012 in Wardak province, Afghanistan. Back in 1993, Mike Duskin volunteered by enlisting as a forward observer of the U.S. Army. Uh, he served three years with the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, left active duty, later joined the Florida National Guard in 1998. He attended the Special Forces Assessment and Selection Course, graduated from the Special Forces Qualification Course in August of that year. And uh, was assigned to the 3rd Battalion, 20th Special Forces Group Airborne as a Special Forces Engineer Sergeant. He was mobilized in 2001. After his deployment, he returned to active duty. 
Remained a member of the unit until December 2007. He deployed four additional times with the 2nd Battalion before being selected as an instructor for the U.S. Army John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center and School. He was on his um, second deployment in support of Operation Enduring Freedom uh, in the position of uh, 1st Battalion, 3rd Special Forces Group Airborne as an assistant detachment commander in Alpha Company when he was killed. Riley Stevens was a a sergeant first class born in uh, Toler, Texas, 1973. Died September 28, 2012 in Wardak Province. Riley Stevens enlisted in the U.S. Army in January of 1993 as an infantryman. He was assigned to the uh, 1st Battalion, 327 Infantry Regiment, 101st Airborne Division, Fort Campbell. Served in uh, several infantry positions. Volunteered for Special Forces Assessment and Selection Course in March of 2005. Following completion of the qualification course, he was assigned to 1st Battalion, 3rd Special Forces Group Airborne at Fort Bragg as a Special Forces Medical Sergeant. Riley Stevens deployed on five separate deployments to Afghanistan with 1st Battalion in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. Five. We have precious snowflakes who can't even watch American Sniper once. These uh, two incredible um, heroes, again, are uh, are honored with a with a party. <laughs> I mean, it's a celebration. It is a happy, fun time honoring uh, Big Mike Duskin and Riley Stevens uh, each and every year in Pinehurst. And uh, again, May twenty first uh, is going to be the uh, the third annual Beef and Beer Benefit. There's going to be uh, an incredible auction. Um, just some amazing items. Uh, it, it's about, you get about, when I was there last year, there were about, I want to say about 1500 people there and everybody was having such a good time. They've got, you know, live music. Uh, they've got, uh, again, a, a great auction, uh, fantastic food, craft beer, and this year, in addition to uh, paying tribute to uh, Mike Duskin and Riley Stevens, they are also uh, paying tribute to another fallen warrior from the uh, 3rd Special Forces Group, Green Beret, Staff Sergeant Jerry Gass, who was killed in October of 2014. And the keynote speaker at the uh, Beef and Beer Benefit uh, retired Army Captain Samuel Brown. He uh, graduated high school in the summer of 2011 and uh, enlisted in the military just weeks before 9-11. Pursued his commission at the uh, U.S. Military Academy at West Point, commissioned in 2006, as an infantry officer. Spent a year at Fort Benning, Georgia, completing an infantry officer basic course, ranger school, and airborne school. And then he was assigned to 3rd Brigade uh, Light 1st Infantry Division at Fort Hood, Texas. He deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan in 2008 as a platoon leader. His deployment ended 
a couple of months later, September 4th, 2008, when his vehicle hit a roadside bomb or responding to the request for support from another platoon that was under attack a few kilometers away, He was medevaced to San Antonio, Texas, Brook Army Medical Center. Three years later, over 30 operations later, Samuel Brown uh, medically retired in September of 2011. Married a fellow Army officer, recently celebrated the birth of their third child. Uh, He has worked in everything from political campaigns, military and veteran-based church outreach, veteran-based nonprofits. Another one of the the many heroes who you'll have the opportunity to meet at the uh, Duskin and Stevens Beef and Beer Benefit. So if you want more information, again, it's May 21st, uh, 2015 in uh, Pinehurst, North Carolina. Uh, I know it might not be close for you. It's about three hours for me, and it is totally worth it. So, uh, again, the uh, website is duskinandstevens.com. Duskinandstevens.com. D-U-S-K-I-N-A-N-D. And then uh, Stevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S.com. You can uh, find out more information about some of the, the auction items uh, that they have uh, that's uh, coming soon. Last year, I mean, it, you see a picture uh, of the, uh, the the tables and all of the auction items. I mean, there's just some amazing stuff. Uh, and it really is. It's just such a fantastic, life-affirming uh, place to be on May 21st. You know, if you are looking at the headlines today and you're wondering, well, where are all the good guys? Where 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 are all of the uh, the people who still care about each other as Americans and who, who still want to help each other out instead of, uh, you know, the people who want to burn stuff down because they, uh, they're, they're angry or they want to uh, silence other people because they don't like what they have to say. Well, the good guys are there in Pinehurst, North Carolina, and they will be, uh, they will be packing the Duskin and Stevens beef and beer benefit on May 21st. So I hope that I do get to see you there. All right, it is unfortunately about time to wrap things up on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool, but thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, you can email me all week long at 40acrefool at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Cam Edwards, also on Instagram at Cam Edwards as well. And until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.